It's time for us to direct our attention to the Word of our God. So I'd like for you to open with me, if you have a copy of the Scripture, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. <clears throat> Today we're going to be looking at Hannah's story. This is a beautiful and powerful account from the Word of our God about a woman in her longing uh, for a son who in her longing poured her soul out to the Lord. So this is 1 Samuel. I, wanna, I do want to reread verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. 1 Samuel 1 verses 19 and 20. They, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God. I'd like to ask God's help as we open it together. Father, we do thank you. Now, in this time, as we come together as your children, to sit at your feet. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your holy scriptures. Help me to be faithful to your word. And Father, I just pray for myself and all my brothers and sisters that you would till up the soil of our hearts so that the seed of your word would would find in our hearts good soil. And that you, through your care, through your spirit, would in time bring forth fruit from our lives for the glory of your name. We pray this in the strong and great name of Jesus. Amen. Here's what I want us to look at today. Three things. Number one, Hannah's longing. Number two, Hannah's pouring. And number three, Hannah's lending. So, longing, pouring, and lending. Let's dive into this story of this mother with number one, Hannah's longing. This really is quite an emotional story, isn't it? If you heard Carrie read the whole chapter, we get to see down deep into the heart of a woman who's desperately longing for a son. Hannah is a member of a non-traditional family. Her husband has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. You see, uh, in the Old Testament, you see that pretty frequently. Uh, God's plan for marriage broken. Marriage was designed by God to be the lifelong union between one man and one woman. And what we see is every time God's design is not followed, that leads to pain, brokenness, and chaos in families. So that's God's way of not just telling us, but showing us His wisdom and following His design. In Hannah's culture... A woman's worth, her value, her identity were all tied up in her ability to have children. Now, this is, this is interesting because when God created us, he did command us to be fruitful and multiply. And God has created us, male and female, with an intrinsic biological drive to bear children. And yet... In Hannah's culture, her culture took this good thing and made it an ultimate thing. It's a good thing to be able to have children. And it's a good thing to want children. But if that 
thing becomes everything to you, then you will either make an idol out of the children you have, or you'll make an idol out of the children you wish you had. A woman's value does not rest in her children or even in her family or her ability to have children. A woman's worth comes from the fact that she is beautifully and wonderfully created fully in the image of God. A woman's value comes in how God has designed her to have fellowship and a relationship with himself. And if you try to find your identity in anything other than a relationship with God, over and over again, in the end, you're going to find yourself broken and devastated, possibly even far more than we see Hannah in this story. Now, our culture is quite a bit different from Hannah's, isn't it? In general, you don't find women, not even Christian women, in a rush to have children. Women are waiting even longer than ever to become mothers. In 1950, the average age when uh, a woman would become a mother was a little over 20 years old. Today, the, that average rate is 30. The average rate. The average age is 30. Do you guys know what the fertility rate is? The fertility rate is the, is the average number of children born to women during their reproductive years. In 1950, the fertility rate was 3.1. Do y'all know what it is today? 1.7. Do you know what the fertility rate needs to be in order to maintain a population, it needs to be 2.1. Economists are freaking out right now because at the rate we're going, we're going to come to a point where there's a massive economic crisis in our life because the fertility rate isn't even going to be enough to support us in the future. Now, why do I even bring this up? Matt, why are you, you know, why is a man um, barging into the details of women's rights and reproductive, you know, histories or cases. Why do I bring this up? Is there any specific age when it's right or wrong to become a mother? No. Right? Um, That's not the point. My point is through the statistics, you can see that in our culture, the value of motherhood has decreased. But the greatest way, now you might be saying, Matt, I don't know. Yeah. It might be good for women and families for women to wait longer. Okay, that might be up for argument. But you want to know the greatest way that you can tell that our culture has devalued motherhood and womanhood is through the culture of death that we call abortion. Since the passing of Roe versus Wade, over 63 million babies have been murdered in the U.S. in the wombs of their mothers. That's over, that's almost 1,700 abortions every single day since 1972 or three. 
And you know something? Every single one of us, I don't care what your political ideology is, every single one of us knows that it's murder. And most of the people in our country don't give a rip. Over half of them. It's a fact. There's a saying that one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths is a statistic. We ought to be falling apart at these numbers. Now tell me, friends, what is a human embryo? At the moment of conception, this tiny thing possesses human DNA. Everything is present for them to grow into a fully mature human adult. You know, if a human zygote, which a human zygote is the very first cell after the egg is fertilized, if they found a zygote on planet Mars, they would celebrate the discovery of life there. Here on planet Earth, it's called a clump of cells. Let me ask you a question. Should we be allowed to extinguish the life of a human on the basis of how small that human is? Should we be allowed to extinguish the life of the human on the basis of how vulnerable they are? No, of course not. We, we all know that the smaller a human life is, and the more vulnerable that human life is, the higher the degree of responsibility we have to protect that life. A mother's womb ought to be the safest place on the planet. I want you to notice how in Hannah's story, God is sovereign over the womb. God is sovereign over the womb. In in infertility, many times, um, that's something we hear a lot about. If you haven't experienced infertility, you definitely have friends or relatives who have, right? It's it's really common. But in, in cases of infertility, many times doctors can diagnose, like they can put their finger on, this is the reason either the mother or the father are not able to conceive a child. But did you also know that there are many times when they can't? Did you know that there's a diagnosis called unexplained infertility? And this week I was doing some research and I found a, um, one medically reviewed article that said this about it. And I just got excited sort of when I read this. Unexplained infertility isn't a magical condition. There is a reason. We just don't know what it is. Well, amen. We know what it is. It is the Lord that opens and closes the womb. This is what the Bible says. Here in 1 Samuel Chapter 1, verse 5, we're told that it was the Lord who had closed Hannah's womb. And that's not the only time we see that in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 20, remember we're told that God closed the the wombs of all of the women in Abimelech's house on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. 
If you remember Jacob and his wife, Rachel, I want you to listen to what it says because she was like Hannah. Initially, she was unable to bear children. But in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says, Then God remembered Rachel. That's the same thing 1 Samuel 1 says about Hannah. Then God remembered her. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Friends, God is the author of life in the womb. I have no, no, process, no, no problem with admitting that he uses natural uh, means or processes in that, but it's something he's also intimately involved with. Listen to what David said to God in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. David says to God, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, Some people would look at a Bible passage like that and say, yeah, listen, that was before science. That was before technology. That was, David didn't know how the reproductive system worked, right? Well, how would you like to hear God say it from his own mouth? Not David talking to God about the way he imagines it works. Listen to what God told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. God says to him, before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. And consecrated you. Do you know what abortion is? Abortion is the ongoing attack of Satan against the seed of the woman. It's the war of Satan against God and those created in God's image. We saw it in Moses' day when Pharaoh ordered the extermination of all of the young Hebrew children. We saw it in Jesus' day when Herod ordered that all the children to and under in Bethlehem would be put to death. That's what abortion is. It is satanic. And that's why right now, as it looks like Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned. Listen, I'm, I'm happy about that in one way, but the, but you think overturning Roe versus Wade is going to stop the devil from waging war against the race of humans created in God's image? No. But that, this is why people are um, foaming at the mouth, seething with anger right now over what's happening in the Supreme Court. It's the rage of Satan against God's created people. Abortion is the anti-gospel. In the gospel, Jesus says, my life for yours. In the false gospel of abortion, it says, your life for mine. Today is not like Hannah's day. 
Women, in Hannah's day, women sought their identity and worth through motherhood. Today, many women are trying to find fulfillment and seek their identity, not in family, not in having children, but, but in a, a career, in success, in uh, a certain income level, in status. And, and again, I want you to hear me. In and of themselves, there's no problem with those things. But you know, you, you could, um, and men can do this a million ways too. Today, we're talking about Hannah and motherhood. A woman could put her identity in her children or ability to have children and make an idol out of that. Or a woman could, could make an idol out of some other thing. No matter what you seek your value and put your identity in, other than God, you're going to wind up broken and lost. Anything other than God that you derive your meaning and purpose and value from will only leave you destroyed in the end. Hannah was longing for a son. Let's look now at number two, Hannah's pouring. Hannah, we're told in this story, she was so deeply grieved because she was, um, she wanted a child so desperately, but she couldn't conceive. In verse 10, it says she was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. And on the top of her own internal sense of grief, Peninnah, her husband's other wife, grievously tormented her. Can't you just imagine how this must have looked day in and day out? Huh, I can have, ch- I can give Elkanah children, but you can't. I'm the more favored wife. I'm the wife he loves. I'm a more value in our culture and in our family. In our, and you're nothing. In one of the most touching parts of this story, Hannah's family traveled every year to Shiloh, which is the place where the tabernacle was at that time. And the tabernacle was the tent that came before the temple, right? And uh, Hannah's family went there to worship. And it, it seemed like these times in particular is when Peninnah was particularly mean to Hannah. So it's there at Shiloh at the tabernacle where Hannah is praying, but she's hurting so bad. She's, she's weeping as she prays. And imagine how Hannah must have looked. She's distraught. She's crying. I mean, she's not, this, she's not like prim and proper care about if the makeup's on straight or all the clothes are looking just This woman is in deep agony and pain. She's praying, crying, but she's praying silently. But remember, her mouth's not moving. And the priest, whose name is Eli, now his sight was kind of bad, so let's, we'll give him a little bit of a break. We learn later that his sight wasn't all that good, but he looks at this woman and he assumes that she's drunk. But that, so you see, this is, how, this is how desperate she is. This is how bad she's hurting. He starts to get on to her. He's going to like rebuke her, right? Why are you in the house of God drunk? But she says in verse 15, she says, No, my Lord, I I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Now here's a woman who's hurting. But I want you to see what she does with her pain. She takes it to the Lord. Do you hear what this said? 
She poured her soul out to the Lord. Ladies, I want to show you something. We live in a fallen world, right? It's a broken world. And, and as a result, there is lots of pain and heartbreak. I mean, a lot all around us, we see. In our own lives and the lives of people we love. You know, in church, we don't just come here and pretend like everything's okay. And, you know, everything's just wonderful and rosy and rainbows and unicorns. Because this real life is hard. And there's lots of pain, lots of hardship. I want to remind you of what God told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember this? Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I don't think that that primarily meant that childbirth was going to be a painful, physically painful experience. I think it means that in spite of the incredible joy that being a mother is and can be, along with that, there can be a lot of sorrow and heartache that comes with it. Friends, sometimes I don't think we realize how very painful it can be for some people to hear the words, Happy Mother's Day. For some people, because of circumstances in their life, Mother's Day is anything but happy. Think of the pain that comes with infertility. A, a couple who desperately wants to have a child, but they're not able. You know, we, we, we know, you probably do too, we, we've known of several different couples who, who were unable to conceive and went through the agony and heartache of years of trying. And, and then when they couldn't, they would adopt a child, and then you know what happened? Whoop. Now they conceived. And it's like, what in the world's going on? You know, could it be the providence of God? Who all along knows one day they will conceive, but in his providence, he wants to lead them down this road to adopt another child, to bring them into a Christian family. We, we've seen that a number of times. And friends, I think as believers, adoption and um, um, Foster parenting should be a, an important priority for us to be thinking about. And I don't think every Christian needs to adopt a child, nor do I think every Christian needs to foster a family. But maybe you can't do that, but could you help support other families who can't, you see? We all can play roles in this. Maybe God is calling some of our people or families in here to adopt one day. Some of you... And I've experienced in this, Carrie and I have experienced this also, have, have suffered miscarriages, the miscarriage of pregnancies. We've had close friends who've experienced stillbirths. You know, and then even if you are blessed to bring children in the world, yes, there are so many joys. But there can also be sorrows. My grandmother is 89 years old. And 36 years ago, her firstborn child died of, um, due to complications from wounds he received in the Vietnam War. And since that time, do you know what has happened? Her middle-born son died, and then her baby son died, who's my father. And every day of her life, for 36 years, she has borne an unbearable sorrow of losing 
her children. Guess who doesn't want to get a phone call on Mother's Day? Because it hurts too bad. Our children, if you're a parent, our children experience pain in this life. Oh, and there's the pain of if your child scrapes their knee, man, doesn't that hurt as a parent? Oh no, I wish I could take this pain away from them. But as they get older, the types of pain that they're capable of experiencing becomes, oh, so much deeper and more complex. And, 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 and which one of our children go through hard things or pain when it doesn't hurt us, right? If you're a Christian parent, there, there is nothing more joyful than for your children to know Christ and to walk with Him. I can't think of anything more painful than being a Christian parent and your children not knowing and walking with your Savior. So, where can a woman turn when her heart is heavy? Where can she turn when her heart is broken? Ladies, and this could go for the men too, we can all do what Hannah did. We can pour our souls out to the Lord. He hears us when we pray. He listens to us when we call out to Him. He cares for us when our hearts are broken. If you have ever felt like you are so wrung out in life that you just, have you ever felt this way? Like you've just melted almost into a, a puddle of nothingness. Well, if if that's how you feel, good. That's a good opportunity for you to pour yourself out to the Lord. Pour yourself out to Him. Let Him hear the deep agonies and cries of your heart. Well, that's Hannah's longing and Hannah's pouring. Let's look now at number three at Hannah's lending. We're told that the Lord heard Hannah's prayer in verse 19, and it so tenderly says that he remembered her. He opened her womb and blessed her to conceive a son. And here's what I love about Hannah. When God gave her a son, she did not make an idol out of him. What did she do? She she dedicated him. I mean, she physically turned him over when he was old enough to be weaned. I mean, as soon as he can sit at the table and eat, she gives him over to Eli to serve God for his whole life in the house of the Lord. She dedicated him to God. And that brings us to an important point. If the Lord has blessed us with children, I have a little secret for you. Our children don't ultimately belong to us. They belong to God. And I know it's kind of hard to get our minds and hearts around that in some ways. Um, and it, it, it's because, I mean, our children are ours, right? They're not, not ours. They are ours. But they belong to God even more than they belong to us. And so we need to live as though that is true. One reason that's hard is because we all like to be in control, right? And when our children are born, I mean, when that baby's born, we control every aspect of their life. They can't go anywhere or do anything. They're 100% dependent upon us. But as they begin to grow, you know, that 
direct control begins to decrease and hopefully instead of direct control, and we can mess up on this as parents, but hopefully our influence is increasing as the control decreases. But what happens, parents? That first time your child gets their driver's license and leaves the house that first time without you. And you realize, this is completely out of my control. That'll make you pray as a parent, right? And then, and then that day, when they either they move off to school or they leave, they move off, go off to live from you forever, and you're like, they're gone. I, I, I've got to turn them over to the Lord. And, and hopefully before those days come, we have already placed our children in the hands of our gracious God. Moms, wherever your children are, Right now in life. Whether in your womb. Or whether still in your home. Or if they're out there on their own. Wherever they are. Whatever they're doing. I know moms. They're still in your heart. So in your heart, take them and place them over and over again, if you have to, into the loving arms of our Savior. And if you're here this morning and your heart is broken, pour your soul out to Him. Pour your soul out into the loving hands of our gracious Father. He he cares for us and there is healing and there is hope with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your powerful Word. And we thank You for the way it speaks to us so very clearly today in our culture. Father, I, I thank You for so many things, Lord. Father, that you have created the family, fatherhood and motherhood. And Lord, for this this beautiful and amazing gift that you have created women with the capacity to nurture life inside of them and to bear children Lord, which you have created in your own image for your glory. Father, um, we we confess, we we sit here, Lord, we, we see your word. Lord, you are sovereign over the womb, over our lives, over the big and the small details in them, Father. Whether we have one child or more, however many In between we may have, Lord, even today, if there are those here who have never had children, Father, Lord, we understand, Lord, in your sovereign will that you are leading and directing our lives. And Lord, sometimes it's hard and we don't understand all the reasons, but we want to trust you, so help us. Lord, we believe, Lord, sometimes we need you to help our unbelief. Father, I pray for the mothers who are here today and are struggling just to put one foot in front of the other. 
loving and taking care of the children, praying for them every day. Father, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Father, if there are mothers here who are hurting because their children are not walking with you, I pray that you would, Lord, bless those mothers not to find their identity in their children or their status before you, but that they would find their identity in the value that comes from having a relationship with you. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you for for mothers and the role of motherhood and the incredible blessing mothers have been, our mothers have been to us here in our lives, the incredible blessing that mothers are being right now in the lives of their children. I pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.